shepherds we shall be. For thee, my Lord, for thee. Power hath descended forth from thy hand. Her feet may swiftly carry out thy command. So we shall flow a river forth to thee, and teeming with souls shall it ever be. Nomine Patriot Fili, Spiritus Sancti. Hello and welcome to Rose Tinted Review, the show where every week we pick something that we have nostalgia for, we then revisit and review it to find out whether or not our hindsight truly is 2020 or if we've just been wearing rose tinted glasses. I'm your host, Connor O'Keen, and I'm joined as always by my good friend and co host, Michael Gervaz. Michael, how are you? <laughs> I feel. He asks tentatively. I feel like I need to go to confession after watching this movie. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, dude, because uh, this is my pick. The Boondock Saints, the 1999 American vigilante action thriller film written and directed by Troy Duffy. The film stars Sean Patrick Flannery and Norman Reedus as fraternal twins Connor and Murphy McManus who become vigilantes after killing two members of the Russian mafia in self-defense. The film also stars Willem Dafoe as Paul Smecker, the FBI agent assigned to the murders linked to the McManus brothers. Uh, And the reason I picked this movie, it also stars Billy Connolly as Noah Ilduce McManus. (laughs) Uh, In... in Far smaller a role than I remember. Yeah, I, I dude. picked this movie because I was like, it's got Billy Connolly in it. Yeah, for all of like five minutes. <laughs> oh, not even. Yeah, like I know. 90 it, seconds. Being generous. Um, I was going to say, talk about bearing the lead. You, I, I got this as a Billy Connolly pick, but fucking Willem <laughs> Dafoe, I thought this dude. was a. I thought this was a Connolly vehicle. <laughs> um, uh, but I also, I also picked it because I mean, this, this is, this is. Uh, honestly, a pretty considering the premise of this show, this is a fucking great pick on my heart. All right, because this is a movie that I watched dozens of times, or, or probably probably a dozen times in year eight mm-hmm. um, when I was about fourteen, and because uh, I had a I had a friend who we would burn each other movies, we'll give each other movies to to check out. I know, I know, I know. Uh, it's okay. I've seen the error of my ways, um, and so I won't be murdered by. Uh, Irishman and this was one that my friend gave to me and he was like you gotta check this out it's so cool and watched it a a heap of times and at 14 years of age definitely thought it was really fucking cool (laughs) I mean it's it's all from from the minutes from the opening minutes of the film it's all cool jackets and zippo lighters and sunglasses (laughs) and all that shit and so coming back to it was like coming back to a a you know how some movies are like coming back to like a warm blanket or like something that feels like home. Yeah, this yeah. likes come. This feels like coming back to like a cum sock. Oh, you know, <laughs> like to, to put no finer point on it, to, to, to not even try to dress up that analogy. <laughs> this this was uh, confronting. Yeah, uh, adolescent a viewing experience of, a, of an adolescent favorite. Yeah, right. Which again, I have not touched probably since I was maybe fifteen or sixteen. Mm. Um. I haven't gone back to this movie, not for any reason either. Like I just happened to not pick it up again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I thought it would be a good one to again, given the premise of the show. Couldn't think of a, of yeah, a more no, fitting. It's, it's a, I more think it's a good pick. pick. Uh, I yeah, this was my first time seeing it. I had heard of its cult status, mm. uh, but I hadn't didn't know much about it besides like the poster of the the two brothers and holding guns, and mm. I got. The vibes off of it like a lock stock kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah. I was expecting something more along those lines and I start watching it and I was like, what the hell is this? Where's this going? And then, yeah, as it just it keeps going and I'm just like, <laughs> what the fuck? It's like, yeah, it was uh, it was a wild ride. Yeah, Not yeah, at all a, what I was expecting. but It's a weird one, yeah. But very much, uh, I think, worthy of that cult status 
that it has. Yeah, I, I think so too. I It's funny. I, I found a lot of this movie really, uh, what's the word? A lot of this movie left a, a bad taste in my mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's the, the word immature kept popping up in my head throughout this movie from the real and this is coming from from me i i i pepper my my sentences with four letter words like no one's business i I say fuck more than i care to admit (laughs) but the the reliance on cursing in this made me made, made me uh made me blush the the kind of the ideas of what this movie seems to think is really cool and hip and edgy uh, it, like rubbed me up the wrong way a lot, mainly because it kind of held up a mirror to my, you know, my 14 year old self. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like as soon as they come out of the thing and they got cool jackets on, I'm like, I love those jackets. And then they pull out <laughs> Zippos and I'm like, I own a Zippo. I own multiple Zippos. Oh my God, no. No, no, like, let's not let's not let this film give Zippos a bad name. Zippos cool are jackets. undoubtedly cool. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Unequivocally cool. Thank you. I, I Thank might you have for learned that, that from, you know, Resident Evil instead. And uh-huh. that's my fondness of Zippo lighters. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm always thinking of a Zippo, Zippo lighter, like, oh, where am I going to solve that puzzle? And I'm going to need this to, you know, light this light this painting on fire and there'll be a crystal behind it that I need. But still cool. Yeah, yeah. And then the way the, the film's paced, it feels like it's it's all in service of what this person who made this film thinks is cool. So he, he it's like he got a boner for the idea of like the opening thing being this uh, crime scene that we see the aftermath of. Mm. And then we see the flashback of how, it, how that happened. And the movie is basically that over and over, over and over, and over again. again. True, Cause that's true. the one idea that he has for this movie that he thinks is cool. Although to, I've got to say, I, I feel like kind of dirty that I need to go to confessional because I kind of enjoyed it. <laughs> okay, quite well, a dude, bit. <laughs> I'm I'm honestly glad to hear that because I was really watching this. I was kind of going because I think there are a lot of ways in in which this movie has aged kind of poorly. Absolutely. And I was worried that as someone with no nostalgia for it, no uh, fondness or or anything going into it, that it just wouldn't appeal to you. I thought I thought you were really going to fucking hate this, <laughs> to be honest. So it's, I'm glad to hear that you got anything out of it. Let's I talk about that. Really wild. I didn't, none of that edgy qualityness uh, really swayed me in any way. I it oh, really okay. kind of just whoop over my head, mm-hmm. didn't pay much mind to it. To begin with, I was kind of like, oh, where's this going? What's the deal? Maybe that first scene where the, 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 the shitty detectives like making his... He's in the alley and he's thinking yeah, of how he's stuff a huge went. fucking guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was kind of like, I don't know about this. But then when Willem Dafoe puts on the earpieces and starts doing the, the, like the fucking opera stuff, and I'm like, yeah, I yeah. like quirky FBI agent yeah, solving yeah, yeah. crime shit. And it hooked me enough. And But I think as the movie went on, I think you're right that it really does do that replaying the uh, sequence of events out of order, showing the aftermath first and then treading back to figure out where, how we got to that point. It does that like four or five times in the film. I enjoyed, or I think it did it better each time. Mm-hmm. To at the end of the film, I was like, I was sold. And I was like, this was a fun, goofy ride. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think it was badass or cool particularly, mm-hmm. but I didn't feel I... I was supposed to necessarily. I yeah. didn't really get that sense of like, oh, this director thinks this is really fucking cool. Like, yeah, as, okay. as much. 
and also the stuff of a certainly of its time and of an era or I think even at the time it was a bit like you know inappropriate or much or you know uh what do you call it it's not it's not particularly PC in any any means of the word yeah sure but yeah I was kind of watching it in the similar way of you've mentioned in the past of like thinking back on like what was the what was the time in which this was made like yeah sure and yeah. the second it's set in Boston I'm just like, okay, this feels very true to a 1990s Boston setting, regardless yep. of it being <laughs> particularly aged well or not, or particularly yeah. appropriate stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like th- yeah. that feels in a way authentic. It's it's kind of heightened and ridiculous and over the top. Yeah. But from other, like, you know, bad parts of Boston that I've seen in other films and stuff, or just, uh, you know, uh, actors and comedians from Boston talking about, what it was like growing up in that time, that it, it sounds like he's writing what he knows. <laughs> That's something we talked a bit about with um, Inglorious Bastards or about Tarantino's stuff in general is like the, the the characters who are saying these things that, that you know, would make you go like, oh, you can't say that. They're bad guys. They're not like, you know, they're, they're un- unsavory characters. Yeah. They're mob bosses and shit. Totally. You know, they go, what? The, the murdering... Uh, the money laundering mobster is also a racist. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, I think that was the biggest one that stood out. Is that when the fucking the what's his name? Oh, what Ron Jeremy? Well, yeah, yeah. No, you got Ron Jeremy and the other mob boss, and yeah, you've yeah. got uh, they got Rocco, and he comes in, and they're like, "Oh, I'm having a bad day. Tell me a joke." And yeah, like yeah. the whole, he's he's saying like, "Oh, these three dudes," and he's like, "And the black man," and they're like, "No, the N word," and yeah, they keep trying the to make him yeah. say the N word and stuff, and yeah. he's like, "That's what I said." And you're like, "Yeah, they're all fucking, they're assholes," and so you're yeah. not supposed to like them anyway. And it's absolutely like fucking something that you wouldn't make today. But even Rocco is a fucking douchebag. Like he's he's a fucking piece of shit as well like i don't like any of the characters in that scene so like i think there is there is sort of a line between sometimes that can be used as a as kind of like an excuse to do it anyway that it's like oh they're all shit characters so now it's okay that they say all this shit and it's like yeah but is that just an excuse to make this racist joke that maybe the director thinks is funny and get Mm. away with it in in that context or something so i can understand that it's like it's a gray area yeah I, i don't get that impression here like that the, the director is like trying to sneak uh, a racist <laughs> joke in, in under the radar or whatever. But yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know if I do either, but I just think like, yeah, it's, is it, is it like necessary? Is it like a part of the film that like, if you took it away, would it lessen the film in any way? Yeah. No, yeah. you could probably go without it. Yeah. I feel similarly about the, um, or I, I was reading uh, some reviews afterwards and the term mean spirited comes up. Yes. Or things kind of uh, likened to that come up quite a bit. And I and I kind of feel that particularly with like I, this is the thing, Willem Dafoe's performance in this. I feel like Willem Dafoe is this film's saving grace, if there yes. is any. Yeah, um, no, he's fucking wonderful. Agree. It's maybe my favorite Willem Dafoe performance. It's I fucking, fucking excellent. Loved it so much. Me and me and my friends used to quote the "There was a fire fight" <laughs> thing all the time. <laughs> and I think the the decision to make that character gay mm. and like openly so is is cool. But yeah. he's also like he also like seems to dislike other gays yeah, or yeah. something. Like, yeah, so it's, it's this weird kind of thing where you like I just don't get yeah, it's kind where of strange. that's coming would, from. Yeah, you would call it progressive if it wasn't for the fact that that openly homosexual character is a homophobe to other characters in the film, and and we don't get any uh, and we don't get any indication as to why. No, 
And this is where uh, when I was reading about the behind-the-scenes stuff for this film, which I've never done before, I've never looked into the making of this film, um, I realised or I found there is a documentary called Overnight from 2003, which goes into sort of not really the making of this movie, but the rise and fall, I guess, um, to some extent, of the man who wrote and directed this film, Troy Duffy. And it is a really fucking interesting doco. (laughs) Very interesting. Interesting is an understatement. (laughs) you, You get... The, the unfortunate thing I came away from it with, which kind of leaves me questioning things like the uh, openly homosexual but also homophobic character, is that in the case of, you know, you, you see Quentin Tarantino interviewed and I don't get the sense that if he was to write that sort of character, there would be some kind of reasoning behind it. Yeah. Whereas with this Troy Duffy dude, you really get the impression that he just put that in there because it was funny to him or something. I don't mm. know. I don't I don't trust that he had good intentions behind <laughs> writing a character like that. No. I kind of got that, like, the first time, you know, he gets the phone call and he's, like, you know, with his lover or just, you know, somebody he slept with. Yeah, yeah. What are you doing? I just wanted to cuddle. Cuddle? What a fag. That first time I was like, Oh, it's their word. They can use it if they want kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, And then yeah. when it happened again, then I was like, okay, nah, this kind of feels mean-spirited. This yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, like uh, just the one time I can kind of laugh it off as like, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. nah, that's, that's uh, yeah. unintentional or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But then when it keeps happening, you're like, eh, I don't know. Yeah. There's like another use of it that, that I, I think is like kind of funny but not really explored in any way and you kind of go, oh, so did you just chuck it in there? For fun? Oh, is that when, there's the um, bit the, where he's at the in- investigation and there's yes. like a mob guy called the Fat Man and the, the guy who's explaining the situation to Willem Dafoe's character, Freudian Slip, uh, says yeah. the Fag Man. And Willem's like, excuse me? And he's like, the, the Fat Man. And <laughs> Willem Dafoe's character's like, hey, Freud was right. And and goes on with it like, I thought that, that's that's funny. That's kind of witty. But it does, like that, that it idea. It didn't lead that, anywhere, yeah. It didn't lead anywhere. That idea no. that maybe the, because um, one of, when he when the cop who says the Fag Man says the Fag Man, the other cop who's in the room kind of looks at Willem Dafoe's character like oh fuck like this guy's going to be in in trouble Mm. there's no and you kind of go oh is this going to lead to something is there something more here is there going to be some drama we don't know and no there's not no no there's not (laughs) so yeah it's it's a weird one yeah I think after watching that documentary it definitely colored my uh my thoughts on the film differently. I was yeah. going in entirely blind and with no notion of anything. Mm. Um, and again, then you can you can kind of just leave it up to your imagination, or you can um, uh, what do you call it? You can take it for. I think you can give them the benefit of yeah, the doubt. That's, that's yeah. to some extent that there was that there's no ill intent or, or mm. whatever you know. But then when you see the man behind the camera. You're like, oh yeah, I don't know now. Maybe not. <laughs> kind of, yeah, you go, ah, this guy's kind of an asshole. <laughs> like, or is um, and and he he has said that he feels that the film, the documentary, paints him in a in a in a bad light. But I you would say, say all of the things in that documentary are things coming out of his mouth. Yeah, he says I was gonna, everything. I was going to say in like. That movie. You could take out every uh, piece of uh, dialogue out of the documentary besides his own words and you would still get that impression from him. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. You could just take a a scene, like a just a recording of a conversation with that man and you would still, I would still come away from watching a, a piece of that man just conversing with another human being going, 
I think I don't like this guy. Yeah, I think he's um, he's definitely like plain and simple. What you see is what you get. And yeah. so it's not like he's hiding that assholishness around anything particularly. No, you, no, you he pick seems up on it straight have, away. And he seems to to take pride in that. Yeah, yeah, in that kind of Boston-y way. Yeah, yeah. He seems to have a real chip on his shoulder. And, and like, I know, I think that that feels like it comes across in the in the stories telling and like in the in the way that's like someone should just come along and kill all the fucking bad guys all these pieces <laughs> of shit fuck them you know like yeah yeah the message that the film seems like it's trying to convey at the end is like that these characters these vigilante characters are right ultimately like it yeah. does end with that that the the uh, people the on Vox the popular kind of yes. stuff yeah people talking to the camera band and and giving conflicting opinions on whether or not that's the case but the the story does end with them with the assistance of the Boston Police Department murdering this mob boss mm. at his trial in front of a room a courtroom full of people now you will receive us would you not ask for your poor or your hungry we do not want your tired and sick it is your corrupt we claim. It is your evil that will be sought by us. With every breath, we shall hunt them down. Each day, we will spill their blood till it rains down from the skies. Do not kill. Do not rape. Do not steal. These are principles which every man of every faith can embrace. These are not polite suggestions. These are codes of behavior. And those of you that ignore them will pay the dearest cost. There are varying degrees of evil. We are you lesser farms of filth, not to push the bounds and cross over into true corruption, into our domain. But if you do, one day you will look behind you and you will see we three. And on that day, you will reap it. And we will send you to whatever god you wish. But we're kind of we're jumping around all over the place here. Let's let's talk about the film itself and some some stuff we liked about it. I guess. Totally. Uh, again, the Willem Dafoe stuff is fucking great. Yeah. I Let's really talk about like that because every time Willem Dafoe is on screen, I'm like, yes, sweet, just more of this, please. Yeah, that absolutely. that initial thing where he chucks the the Walkman on the little earphones and he's like doing his his orchestrating the kind of what he thinks happened at the crime scene is mm. is really really cool. And I do like his dynamic with the brothers at the station where he, yes. he there's like he like immediately uh, he's, warms he's not to them. eyeballing them or anything yeah, yeah. he's he's there's a, a kind of mutual sense of i don't know camaraderie and stuff and he's mm. he's intrigued by them and yeah, and I like stuff a, i like going uh, like before that to uh, detective greenley being the one that he's like picking on cuz he's got a fucking terrible sense of uh, being a detective yeah, and and yeah. they're in the, the room, you know, having the briefing and he's like, these guys are long gone, blah, blah, blah. And they're like literally walking to the precinct yeah. as he says that. Yeah. And then, yeah, when they're like, he's so fascinated, they're like explaining to him and they know all these different languages and shit. Mm. And then like how much the cops like him. Yeah. And they're like, oh, can we stay here tonight? And then the, the, the cop's like, yeah. And then he's like, oh, wait, I mean. Can they stay? Well, we'll have to check with your mom. But it's okay with me if your friends sleep over. <laughs> yeah. I just fucking love that. I didn't catch on that he was gay for a bit because I just didn't assume anything. I was just like, this is really yeah, quirky course. and weird, but yeah. what is it? Yeah. And then when he's gay, it's like, okay, that kind of makes sense. But also he's just he's just really charismatic and yeah, fucking yeah. fantastic. Well, it, doesn't, it doesn't come off as like 
like I don't know mincing or like uh, a, a negative stereotype. It feels like he's like uh, shit. Maybe maybe he was into theater in high school or something. Like it's just part of his personality. That yeah, he has yeah. these little flamboyancies and eccentricities and stuff. It's I, I really like it. I find it really charming. Yeah, really dramatic and just like chewing the scenery. Yeah, 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 yeah. Every every morsel. Um, I love it. And yeah, it's great to see him following all of the different crimes. And it was interesting how each time they're, they're not like serial killers or something that have this shit planned out. So each time they end up shooting up people and this and that, it doesn't yeah. follow a pattern. And so he's presented with all these crime scenes and he finds the, not the pattern so much, but the progression in it. That he's like, yeah, okay, yeah. there was two dudes this time. But the next time he's like, there's a third. And he's like, yeah, but this third guy, he was a shit shot. Yeah, I love that. He's like, <laughs> good shooting, shit shooting. And then yeah. when he's like trying to figure out how guns from, oh, sorry, bullets from gun uh, a and B. B ended up like, yeah, on opposite walls. And he's like, oh, he, he just like, crosses his hands and then just like double, yeah, double takes and then crosses his hands over. He's like, it looks like we got us a cowboy. <laughs> we got a cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> It's so good. And I think it's a good payoff as well when eventually Greenlee gets it right, where he's like, what instead of yeah, six yeah, guys that's... with guns, it was just one guy with six guns. And he's like, yeah. fucking get away from here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it actually yeah. was one guy with six guns. Yeah, that's a funny That's a funny payoff. And I do like that that whole sequence of him being kind of in the flashbacks. Yeah. Explaining him. That that whole sequence is, is really fucking cool. Yeah, that's what I liked. The, the progression, I think, actually, I was a little bit confused at the time, but after knowing where the, where the film leads, it's interesting that it's like he's working them out so much that he's in this headspace and also not just that he's figuring them out, but he's starting to admire them more and more mm, until yeah. eventually he does team up with them and that yeah. moment of him reenacting it, it's like he's there as a participant instead of the other times where he's just yeah, like figuring yeah, that's it a, out that's afterwards. that's a cool way of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, because I was very thrown at the end because uh, I love how, like, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself because that sequence is so fucking good because yeah. he's, he's in the room with them and he's doing, like, he's, you know, he's finger gunning as, as, <laughs> as Norman Reedus and the other guy is shooting. It's so Again, funny. Me and my friends used to reenact that shit. Yeah. And it's really nice that there's, like, some of the shots he's there and then some of the, like, it'll cut and he's obviously, like, not in the room. Mm. And it feels like that kind of like impossible, uh, like, yeah, he's he's phasing in and out of being there. But then when it cuts to the like the outdoor ambush, it's like his jacket's off and he's all sweaty and he's <laughs> like fucking going all over the place. Yeah. Uh, there was a firefight! Uh, he just loses it. But then, yeah, I was really thrown when he like lands in the bush after having like a hissy fit about who, who are these guys and then yeah, he finds yeah. the finger and he like doesn't he pulls tell his him. gun out and fucking fires, yeah, fires it in the, it air, in the air and screams ah <laughs> it's amazing that's right it's the fact that they like sprayed their own blood with ammonia so that it wouldn't uh like give a, a good dna sample yeah, um, yeah that he loses it and then he finds the finger and he doesn't go like oh look i found the finger he like fucking buries it in his pocket and i'm like what the fuck yeah. Uh, but then, obviously, it makes sense that he's admiring them and, and believes that what they're doing is 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 just. 
And yeah, or he's uh, conflicted about that. And then we get to, like the confessional, the confession booth. Yeah, yeah, conflicted scene. still. But um, I love it that also that's how he figures it out. Like I was thinking, like, oh, that's a good DNA sample, and he fucking takes it for prints. And I was like, oh yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you got a yeah, fingerprint yeah, yeah, right totally. there. Scan yeah. in the database. And then the second he sees that it, it was um Rocco's yeah, finger, yeah. he has that like really quick flashback to like he was there at the at the press conference and he snuck mm. in um to give the boys the clothes up boom then he's like in that like one split second he's like up i know all three of them and who they are Mm. and then that's when he's more conflicted because it's like oh wait no i do know these guys and i trust that they're like they are good guys yeah Um, yeah and they are only picking targets that are people that deserve it and shit (laughs) even if rocco is a piece of shit (laughs) yeah he he did annoy me like murphy and connor i i liked them well enough but I didn't like really warm to them the way that I warmed to Defoe's character. Yeah, yeah. But then when they got incredibly wooden in comparison, like yeah. Norman Reedus straight up fucking annoys me in this movie. <laughs> like he's always doing this weird fucking boy band stare, and it, 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 it just annoys the shit out of me. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't so much for me. But it was when you add Rocco in, and they're they're like taking cues from him who to whack and stuff that I'm like, don't listen to this fucking guy when yeah, he shoots yeah, the cat smart. and then they're, they're, they're like, you know, all the shit with the girlfriend and stuff. Yeah. You're like, yeah. this guy's a fucking scumbag. He's just as bad as the other fucking mafia dudes. Yeah. Yeah. I also like, I do like the the guy that they've gone to whack though at the poker game. Who's mm. like the quiet dude that never says a mm. thing. I love that yep. he's in the bathroom and gunshots start going off and he's, he just gets up and is like, all right, time to wash my hands. Like he puts yeah. his glasses on. <laughs> yeah. Like it doesn't phase him a bit. I really, I really like that. Yeah, there are some some neat ideas for characters uh, in this thing. Mm. I found most of the humor that really worked or that I resonated with was the uh, the film taking itself seriously. Like the characters take themselves seriously. The joke is kind of for the viewer and not as as. How uh, do you mean? Like, can you give me an example? I, I feel like I'm I'm not quite understanding what you mean by that. Like, what's something that you made you laugh in that in that way? Like I think like that guy, the the, the quiet dude, mm. uh, he's not like he's not a joke to them. Like in that situation, he's actually sure, like sure. dangerous and serious. But the fact that he stays so serious under that pressure is is like funny is to humorous. me, but yeah, not to sure. them. And yeah, I like that yeah, kind gotcha. of that kind of humor to it. Yeah, yeah, cool. Uh other other kind of funny part. So obviously once they figure once they have the confessional thing and they know that the that Schmecker is uh kind of uh, torn, they just like call him up and explain the shit to him, and he's like on their side. Yeah, um, yeah. and he's willing to help them out. When they go to to whack the mob boss, and they don't know that like every fucking hired gun in the city's there, and they get captured, and uh-huh. he goes in to save them, and he fucking dresses up as the woman. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of like a moment of like, wait, uh, the, the the joke is that he's dressed up as a woman, but it's actually like tricking these guys because it's really fucking obvious that it's not a woman. Yeah. But when the guy at the door's like, oh man, he's sending us this premium pussy or whatever he (laughs) said. (laughs) Premium box, I believe. Yeah, premium box. Something like that, yeah. And then the thing that tips him off is that like the wig comes loose and he's like, wait, what the fuck? And it's like, (laughs) dude, it's Willem Dafoe in a wig and and lipstick. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's strange. It's very strange. That, that, like, escalation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, maybe the only stuff in the movie that I think that I'm more noticed the feeling of, like, oh, the director thinks this is really cool and trying to sell this as, like, badass was when they're talking about releasing the Duke out of prison to, like, 
do do the job. That that whole sequence, I think, actually actually lives up to the that sense of like, oh, this will be badass. This will be cool. Mm. Uh, you do get like that menacing f- vibe that it's like, oh, he's this prisoner and he doesn't have a name on file and like they're releasing him on parole just so that he can whack a dude is kind of cool. Yeah. It's a kind of a weird turn when it's Billy Connolly because then you're like immediately like, oh, this is a funny cunt and he's supposed <laughs> to be this badass. Yeah, I think I kind of liked him in in the the role of the badass, especially when he shows up with the fucking cigar and the, yeah, the that funny is glasses cool. and yeah and all that. And when they they that that sequence of him being released where he's like in the cage and he's all bearded and fucking surly looking, like they're not really showing his face; they're just showing like bits of hair and stuff. And yeah, yeah, he looks quite. He does look quite menacing. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Something about being barefoot, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's the only thing that separates us from the animals, That's dude. Right. Shoes. Yeah, and socks. Sneakers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. The like the whole this thing's really cool thing that I kind of alluded to earlier. I, I kind of felt that when I was watching it, re-watching it before I watched the documentary. And then when I watched the documentary, like you say, it's kind of coloured my my view of this movie. Yeah. Because this Troy Duffy dude is is such a character in this documentary, and whether or not you like that sort of person, I, I can't help but like, I came away from that documentary going, "This guy's a fucking asshole." No, and, totally. And- I think asshole is the perfect word to describe it. I, yeah, I thought the same yeah. thing, and, it, and that's I don't the thing. know the fucking guy. Regardless from a bar of whether of soap, you like him or not, I would say he is unequivocally an asshole, and he would yeah. probably not argue the point. Yeah, he would probably true. have some sort of shit-talking reason of why that's a good thing and yeah. why that's important and why that got him to a place that you'll never get to and all sorts of <laughs> shit oh like God. that. Yeah, but that's the thing. I can't help but go, this, my impression of this person, again, I don't know him from Vara Soap, but what I was left with after that doco was this, was this fucking prick made this movie. <laughs> yeah. Fuck this guy. Fuck his movie, um, to some extent. To some yeah. extent, I think I'll need I'll need some time to kind of. Uh, yeah, no, I think you're right. Like, yeah, it, it like maybe some time to process, but it is that thing of like when you think about like, oh, this is a first time director, all that stuff. We always take that into account because we're like you know, uh, like you know, aspiring yeah, yeah, filmmakers yeah, yeah. ourselves. So when we see yeah. that and we go, oh, this was made on a pretty small budget, like you know, inspired by Tarantino and Guy Ritchie, seeming. To do a kind of gangster flick, that's a fair effort for a first-time film. And mm. if you'd not seen anything of the director, you'd think like, oh, that's a fair effort, good on him, done a pretty good job with what, you know, means he had. Yeah. And then you watch the doco and you go like, wow, this guy was an asshole. And the yeah. second, like, the story started really interesting that, like, fucking he made mates with Harvey, we- Harvey Weinstein. Harvey mm. Weinstein bought the script and bought the fucking bar and was like, I'll mm. even buy the bar and throw it in for you. And you're like, yeah. that's that's a crazy story. Like the fact that it, the the doco is called Overnight because it's he's become famous overnight. And yeah. so then there was all this press about him, and it was he was going crazy, and he was blowing up in Hollywood. The second that started happening, and you hear phone conversations of him trying to do pre production stuff of getting actors and all this stuff. Mm. He's so ready to shit talk and be like, I'm the fucking biggest thing, and everyone you know like wants a part part of this. So we're gonna yeah. like you know 
We're gonna, you know, threaten them this and threaten them that. And then like every step of the way, it starts falling apart. And then the second something starts going back on track, like there's a really interesting, uh, in, uh, like on the interview, just a interesting conversation that when Billy Connolly's on set with him and mm. having a chat. Yeah, yeah. The second that he's like, oh, cool, this movie's actually getting made. Then he, then it suddenly he turns to like, yeah, now the people are fucking lining up like with yeah, their offers yeah. and their apologies and their this and that. Yeah. And he keeps like acting like that's happening, but it it doesn't happen. No, he's no. fucking blacklisted. Yeah, and like as as a fucked a person as Harvey Weinstein is, you can kind of go like, okay, this makes sense. Why? Well, that's the thing. He- you go, Harvey <laughs> Weinstein thought this guy was an asshole. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Fuck me, yeah. Dead. It's like, can you have a more da- damning sentiment than that? Yeah, 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 yeah. But with all that in mind, like I can say. And I, I would say for a first-time director, like first-time feature film director, I don't get the impression that he had any experience shooting anything else up until this point. No, not even like Must have had a fucking great team. And music videos or anything. Yeah, like. yeah. Um, yeah. And, he, and, he, and he seems proud of that in the documentary. He's like, I didn't study nothing, blah, 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 blah. You know, this, this, was, this was dropped upon me or some shit. All that in mind, there are some moments of genuine cool creativity and like a, as though there's a somewhat inspired creative vision yeah, behind this yeah. thing. That that whole sequence of um, Willem Dafoe in the kind of flashbacks and stuff, you know, taking part in it, like you say, that's that's really cool. The idea of Willem Dafoe's character is is pretty cool. There are some neat things in here that, that I will absolutely give credit for. Yeah, I think so. I think like you've kind of said, not even just for a first-time director, like I can imagine that I think maybe his personality is the grading thing that stopped him from getting more opportunities but yes even as a first film it's got more going for it than a lot of just that absolute mediocre like you know it's better to be you know either like ridiculously good or like kind of shit but with some interesting ideas at least Mm. than just that middle of the road bland mediocre you know like hollywood churning out directing shit like you talked about like a Zack snyder or something you see this Mm. guy and you think like i feel like he would have something more interesting to input into those kind of movies than what Zack snyder does with a lot of his films Mm. yeah but yeah, maybe it's it's hard to say because he's directed nothing but Boondock Saints and then Boondock Saints two, like ten yeah. years later. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. It's it's this weird thing where like like you say the the personality behind that creativity is 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 so fucking grating that Harvey Weinstein couldn't stand him. Mm. <laughs> like shit, man. Like I, I I it's one of those things. If he'd been a kind of you know sympathetic, uh, and and kind of. If if you got a real sense of warmth from him from that documentary, you'd pr- you'd probably look at this film. Or I say you, I would probably look at this film going, ah, Dan, what a shame. But the the way the impression I get from him in that documentary uh, has me going, all right, bye, bitch. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. Yeah, the way you know, he talks like that about last, that last shot of him in the documentary. There's like uh, uh, it kind of ends with them showing everyone who was involved like the the him and his band members his band members because he was trying to simultaneously start a career in music and filmmaking at the same time and kind of merge the two yeah it shows like each of his band members just doing day jobs and he the last shot of him is him on a street corner smoking a dart like outside a pub or something yeah and i saw that and i was like that's where you belong motherfucker like <laughs> Yeah, like the way he starts, it, like the, the the documentary does start like that. He, it definitely seems like he's like, what's important are like these friends that I made before I got big, 
because everybody else after this will, you know, be trying to like, you know, they'll have an ultimatum. They'll have they'll have a reason for wanting to suck up to me for, you know, yeah. money or an opportunity. These are yeah. these are my true friends. Mm. And you think, oh, yeah, that's that's a good sentiment to have. And then he goes on throughout the documentary to be an arsehole to them and fuck a lot of them over. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. okay, well, then you're not kind of living up to that. And the way he talks, immediately they get this deal and he's like, we've got the best fucking script in Hollywood. Us seven here, we're the most fucking creative people that are like, you know, more capable of achieving anything than any of these other people. And suddenly it yeah. becomes like we are the absolute masters of the entire industry and this. And it's like, yeah, dude, you're you, at the same time you're talking about like coming from nothing and not studying anything and having this one film being bought dropped in your lap. It's like, which one is it? You're kind of contradicting yourself. Yeah, totally. I think it's the impression I get is he's got this like chip on his shoulder as though he feels mm. he is owed something more than his, his lot in life and happens to have enough creativity to have written this script that gets people's attention and then immediately is like, you know, about time. Like, this yeah. is this, I'm about to get everything that's owed to me. And then that attitude just rubs people up the wrong way. <laughs> Yeah. People go, oh, we owe you, do we? Fuck you. How about that? And then the rest of the movie, he plays the fucking, the rest of the the documentary, the rest of his fucking career, at least that window of it, he plays the victim. Yeah, yeah. I would say he fits in between like a Zack Snyder or a Paul W.S. Anderson where you go like, okay, these guys are consistent enough and that they can work with the studios that they can be like, yes, men, and they can churn this stuff out. And it might not be of a very good quality, but- Mm. Sometimes you look at that, you know, wanting to get into the industry and you go, fuck, how can I not get in there when there's this really uninspired asshole churning out movies every couple of years and they're all rubbish, but he keeps getting another film after that. And you go like, okay, he's good at working, you know, with the producers and, you know, agreeing to stuff and he doesn't make waves. And then you've got at the other, like the very top end of the spectrum, like we were talking about with Tarantino with the Inglorious Bastards episode, he kind of is the opposite of that where he goes like, no, I want it this way. And he has a really, really strong opinion on how things should go. And mm. he doesn't just agree to shit mm. and he will push back against stuff. And that's, that shows in his, in the product that he makes that you go, well, fuck yeah, this guy does know what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. But when you look at Tarantino in interviews, he's not that arrogant asshole that the media makes out. You go, oh, this guy's actually pretty humble and this guy actually has a fairly good like grasp and perspective on where he sits in all of this and yeah, doesn't yeah. like overblow it. And yeah. this guy seems like he's kind of like maybe acquaints himself like a Tarantino-esque level and yeah, goes like, this yeah. is what I think I should act like because I'm of this higher of a caliber when mm. he isn't. Because I yeah, didn't particularly get the a lot of the the criticism is like oh this is like you know like a, a hack Tarantino wannabe kind of thing which I didn't particularly get the vibe of just watching the film but I can understand that it is there it I think definitely does fall in between the like hey what if you took a bit of Guy Ritchie and a bit of Tarantino and that's yeah. your influence and that's yeah. fine because influence is influence like he's not fucking like stealing from them or anything mm. there's nothing wrong with that yeah no of course. There's a there's a um a Jim Jarmusch quote that's like so, something along the lines of like originality is is I, I'm going to paraphrase here he probably didn't say bullshit in his <laughs> uh, originality is bullshit authenticity is everything like steal steal liberally but steal only what speaks to your soul is mm, is the mm. crux of it yeah which is a, a, a hey it's it's how I justify not having an original thought so <laughs> you know I'm, I'm I'm not one to talk. <laughs> 
so I can see that that maybe being the the case here that he's you know kind of pinching influences and and stuff like that and that's 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 great that's fine yeah I don't have a, I have a problem with that but then yeah the more I think on it about you know the way that he acts and the way that he's like I'm gonna be this fucking revolutionary independent filmmaker and stuff it seems like he wants to paint himself like a Tarantino or something well, that's yeah. like the model he wants to he aspires to and I think yeah. that's detrimental I think like if if he didn't play off of that I think he would have maybe caught less flack for it. I don't know. It's interesting yeah. looking at like the Rotten Tomatoes for both the first and the second, the audience uh, like rating is very high and the critic for rating- For both of them? For both of them. Well, I think oh, the, wow. the first one I think is something like an 80 or 90% audience rating and then yeah. the second one is like a 60, a mid-60s rating. Yeah, yeah. But both for the, audi- uh, for the critic rating is like a 29%, mm. like incredibly low. Almost yeah. like nothing positive at all critically to say about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a a independent film, and the story of how it how it got made. I mean, it's a miracle fucking anything gets made. Yeah. And so I think on some level, the story behind this film is kind of uh, inspiring. It makes sense that it has a cult following because people can watch this and go, "Oh, he was just this you know schlub from from Boston." Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and he made a he made a film with fucking Willem Dafoe and da 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 da, and it's it's you know. Maybe didn't see success immediately, but it's lived on. It had a second life on home video and all that. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely, I think, yeah, part of that cult status is that it's like, okay, they weren't even able to get distribution. Like when when, when they say like, oh, this small distributor picked the film up. Yeah. It's like, no, they were talking small. They played it at six cinemas in the in the, in the in in America the, in the country, <laughs> for yeah, a week. Yeah. Like that is absolutely yeah. small. That's the yeah. kind of thing where you go like, I feel like I could bankroll that at a village cinema in Australia <laughs> <laughs> for, <laughs> for that kind of showing. Yeah. But yeah, like they released it on home video and, you know, people found it and they shared it around. And it like, I think you are that demographic of yeah, yeah, that absolutely. Young, young teenage kid that, that found it and shared it with the, their friends, shared it with each other. And mm. then it became popular through that. Mm. So it's definitely, like I said earlier, I think that's definitely deserved. It definitely has kind of all the elements of what a cult film would be. It's sort of in the way that I was talking about how. Our Princess Bride episode, Princess Bride is like one of maybe the most cult films ever, but it's become such a beloved cult film across the industry and the whole world over the past several decades that like everybody fucking knows it and everybody loves it. Yeah, there's a point where it's no longer cult. There's hardly an actor that you can talk to working in Hollywood that hasn't seen it and absolutely fucking loves the shit out of it. Yeah, yeah. Where this definitely has that that cult thing of like, yeah, it's not a perfect movie. It's, it's, It's majorly flawed. Uh, in some ways, but it has yeah. some redeeming quality, some interesting aspects to it that you get, that that hook you and go, oh yeah, but this is really fucking great. Holy shit, Willem Dafoe's performance is so fucking good. Yeah, 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 yeah. In that way, it's kind of like it's it's, uh, and I'm sure you could find other examples or even better examples, but it, it's 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 almost a perfect cult film in that way. Like everything mm. from the behind the scenes to the creator to, you know, how it's how it's lived on, how it's found an audience after the fact, all has this kind of grungy, uh, this kind of ugliness to it. Yeah, you, you watch know, it and you go, okay, I can understand this is why this is not mainstream popular and why it would never be mainstream popular. You would, yeah. it would have to be a different film in order to achieve that kind of success. But you're like, no, but I can totally see why there are, is things that people like about it. Yeah. Speaking of uh, aged poorly, absolutely cancelled. That scene at the beginning with the meat packing place and they're slapping meat up against each other. <laughs> Couldn't do that today. 
Look at the cemetery. That's terrible. Oh, true. Yeah, we're yeah, fucking, yeah. Not in the we're age of COVID. wearing masks and these people yeah. are slapping meat in each other's faces. Yeah. I bet like they just nothing. rinsed it under a tap and wrapped it up and sold <laughs> nah. it on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Despicable. Slapping a, a, a steak in the face of Norman Reedus, that's how you get COVID-20, dude. The racism jokes I could stand, but the slapping <laughs> around of meat. Oh, God. Ever heard that's of salmonella? Your- <laughs> it's deadly. As much as there are things that indicate some kind of maybe not strong, but considered creative vision. Uh, again, the scenes with Willem Dafoe in particular, and I don't know how much uh, Willem Dafoe played in in like making those decisions. Maybe some of those were just him going, I'm going to play the character like this or whatever. Again, like, like you, you get the sense of him chewing the scenery. That's what makes you think like, oh, maybe he ad-libbed a lot of that stuff or he took a lot of creative license in mm, adding yeah. to that shit. Yeah, maybe. There are aspects to the filmmaking that feel less thought out that kind of niggle at me. That make me go like, oh yeah, this is a this is a first time director who perhaps is more concerned, and this is the impression that you get from the doco as well, more concerned with being a rock star director than with the film that he's producing. The use of the like freeze frame titles, the the oh. the the font is really kind of Windows Movie Movie Maker. Windows <laughs> Movie Maker shit, and at, at a couple of points it like types on, or at least one point it types on screen with like a. T- but it doesn't look like typewriter font, and that doesn't happen at any other point in the film. Yeah, yeah. So it feels like little little creative decisions that you go that that don't uh, aren't consistent, don't follow through, or or yeah. mean anything. Um, and that whole opening sequence where it's got the the two brothers around Boston and they're and they're in the packing plant and they have that altercation with the like the big lady. Yeah, and stuff, and then they're at the bar, and then the movie starts proper, and it like shows them there are shots of them like in their house and stuff, and it's kind of all. It looks like scenes that were maybe meant to be in the movie later that were truncated and turned into an opening credit sequence. Maybe, yeah. Or maybe it was supposed to be the opening credit sequence, but it was just, yeah, maybe maybe like you're saying, not well thought out. It's supposed to be that, hey, let's give our, let's give some scenes of our main characters to make the audience, you know, respond with them and, you know, create a connection. And they thought, uh, yeah, like punching a really tall, you know, woman, really big woman. That would that'll that'll make them resonate with the audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. And I think that kind of speaks to what you were saying earlier about the the scene where Rocco's telling the joke, where you go, you could take this out of the movie and it would affect nothing. next to nothing. Yeah, really. Uh, I mean, I guess like that that serves to introduce. The mob boss character, but you could have introduced the mob boss character with the him delivering the sandwich and then move on. Yeah, I think that's also kind of a way that you might say, oh, this is a first-time director or a first-time writer. Mm. You've got your... There's a difference between, like, you know, plot and story. People have different definitions of it or whatever, but you could say, like, okay, the story is, like, the bare-bones stuff. The, the mm. like, okay, these are the plot points that have to happen. This is the arc, you know, first second, third arc, these are the the conflict points, the resolution points, and then you've got the actual writing of the scene and mm. you could write that scene entirely different. It, it comes back to, okay, what do, what do we get from this scene? Okay, this is to introduce the mob boss. You, okay, yeah. how do we do that? Yeah. There's like an infinite amount of ways that you could do that and how mm. they've done it is not particularly inspired. I think like uh, it's <laughs> we're just we're a broken record just going back to Willem Dafoe's scenes in in terms of that going okay we need to show you know what happened or whatever we're reenacting the violence that happened how do we do that 
having Willem Dafoe be in the scene with them. Mm. Really interesting. Really different. Like, I haven't seen that a lot of the time and it makes it thoroughly entertaining. What happens in this one? Well, he sits down and Ron Jeremy, who's getting Harvey Weinstein himself at this point, is heckling him and then he gives him the sandwich and the the mafia don boss is like dude this sandwich and he opens it up and he complains because it's like they put like six pieces of salami in here and that's all the sandwiches and you're like what is this and then he tells that joke yeah okay that's kind of that's kind of boring like that's kind of like a first draft like okay let's just chuck something in there yeah yeah to get there and now like let's go back and let's like find a much more entertaining way of telling that story yeah, this feels like the sort of movie that exists in the wake of Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. And this kind of speaks to the impression I get of Troy in the in this documentary where it feels as though he saw those movies and went, I can write kind of witty, urbane, uh, curse-laced dialogue mm. reasonably well, and this is just him doing that, which I think also speaks to the kind of chip on his shoulder that he seems to have in that documentary of like, you know, I can do I can do this shit just as good as any other cunt out there. It feels like he's seen Reservoir Dogs and gone, oh, that's all he's doing? And it's like, well, no, that's not all he's doing. <laughs> you know, which is why Quentin Tarantino has a career and you do not. Mm. I almost forgot, but then when you brought up the scene at the beginning when they're teaching her, you know, the ropes or whatever because she's the new worker oh, and no, he brings the up the thumb. rule of thumb and then it, it, it like almost starts off into a Tarantino-esque... In the early 1900s, it was legal for men to beat their wives as long as they used a stick no wider than their thumb. It sounds yeah. like he's doing a... This is a witty Tarantino kind of thing and then they just yeah. punch her in the face. Like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah <laughs> good one. That's kind it's of the not- same with the, the shooting the cat thing. It's this this sudden random occurrence of violence mid- uh, True. No, you you're know, right. moment of levity. The, yeah, no, that's very much uh, the shooting the guy in the back of the head in the car scene yeah. in Pulp Fiction. Yeah. The more and more I'm, I'm sitting with this movie, the more <laughs> it's- uh, <laughs> Oh, it's falling apart yeah, at the seams, apart. dude. <laughs> It's like, yeah. no, 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 the, the Tarantino comparison is absolutely apt. <laughs> it's almost scene for scene. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, that's why we keep coming back to the uh, Willem Dafoe character stuff because that's the stuff that feels the most inspired. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, not a movie devoid of of inspiration or, or neat aspects, but no, a, a, very flawed, a very flawed film and a, and a really pretty perfect example of a cult film and and <laughs> why some cult films should stay cult films. Yeah, totally. I was I was coming into this podcast thinking after watching it going like, okay, I can see all of the issues with it, but I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt and go like, hey, it was made in that time, so yeah. it's hard to judge something by today's time. If I can watch it in a separated mindset of like that yeah. was the time and not worry about it too much, I enjoyed it. But then after watching that documentary and having this chat, I also feel like walking away from that documentary with that like, no, no, fuck you, dude. Like, <laughs> no, fuck this. You, you, you dug your grave. Mm. This is all your own fault. You don't deserve a career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I was I was optimistic or, or kind of curious of watching the sequel. And now I'm not sure how I feel about checking it out. I gotta say, I'm kind of interested in checking out the sequel just to see what ten years away from filmmaking does to someone's filmmaking chops. Yeah, like he's ma- he's only made two feature films, you know, a decade apart. 
in the same universe with the same characters. Like, what's he learnt in that yeah. time? Yeah, and also, like, has it been 10 years away or has it been... Because the film was made in 1999, but then it didn't really release... I think they, what, it showed at Cannes or it showed at some film festivals and then again it showed at other film festivals uh, considered Mm. for awards in like the 2000s or Mm. 2001 and then like that small distribution of like six cinemas I think was also in 2000 or 2001. So it kind of like, it was a almost a dead project that they were, you know, like beating the dead horse over the the finish line. And then you think like, okay, was he trying to make that sequel like immediately? And he was spending like the next six years Mm. struggling just as much trying to make the next thing? Or did that fall in his lap, you know, right around the 2008s and then they just smashed out a a quick sequel suddenly when he had been away from filmmaking for that long? But unfortunately, I feel like after the negative reception he would have gotten from the documentary he wouldn't have let a camera crew probably film <laughs> during the making of the second film which i almost want to see a documentary on the the making of the second film more than i do the second film <laughs> yeah no that's fair i i would agree so just to cap off is this a film you would recommend to to new newcomers because it's funny when i've talked to other people about this movie it's one that people either go oh, i remember that in, in vague fondness yeah or they go, oh, I've heard of that. Like it's something they've been meaning to check out. Yeah, like so I've been hearing about it for over kind 10 of years. Lives. Yeah, yeah. It's reputation, you know, precedes it. It does. Uh, or or that they, they Google it and go, oh, this looks kind of cool. Yeah. You know? I think my recommendations would be very specific. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. Yeah, Like if sure. it was, you know, a friend that I knew was really into movies. Yep. I'd say it's one to recommend because- when you're when you're that far into movies, the the kind of the history and lineage of movies and how they got made and stuff, mm. it can be just as enjoyable as the movie itself. Yes, the circumstance yeah, behind good, it. But sometimes you know people it. just want to sit down and watch an interesting, entertaining flick. It's mm. probably not uh, a recommend for those kind of people that just want to you know sit down once a week and, and switch their brain off and and watch something. And yeah, I don't yeah, know if fair. I'll be coming back to it at all <laughs> yeah that's that's fair i'm not um, disappointed at all that i've seen it i'm glad that i've ticked it off and yeah there yeah. was a lot of interesting stuff about it uh but yeah n- not necessarily the need to ever come back to it though yeah uh, i think i share your your sentiments i think i would recommend it to uh people who haven't seen it who i feel would get a kick out of the story behind it after having seen it mm. um i would absolutely recommend the documentary it's called uh, overnight it's from 2003 it's, uh, it's a little hard to come by but if you can find it, please give it a watch. It's really cool. And I think I think I would probably recommend it to people like if, if they if they like Reservoir Dogs and want that but not as good, I would probably recommend it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. If you'd like to support us, the best thing you can do is share the podcast. Word of mouth is incredibly helpful. And uh, it has to be said, we've been having some really good weeks in terms of our listening and stuff. So yeah, it's thank been you. awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. And... Uh, if you'd like to support us monetarily, you can also do that by heading over to patreon.com forward slash rose tinted review. $3 AUD a month will get you access to our audio commentary watch along series, Beer Goggle Banter, plus the supercuts of those series in which we attempt to make bad movies better with the addition of alcohol and good friends. And at the $10 tier, you will get access to Beer Goggle Banter, plus our monthly catch up podcast, The Blind Spot, wherein we fill in our own viewing blind spots with cult classics, modern marvels, and new releases. Cult classics, not unlike. Like this week's film. Yay! <laughs> Maybe uh, Boondock Saints 2 will be Maybe. on our blind spot. 
Maybe. Uh, you'll have to, hey, you'll, you'll have to give us $10 <laughs> and find out, T.E. Oh, dear. Um, uh, you can find links to all of our socials in the descriptions for this episode, and you can hit us up on any of those to answer this week's question. Who is your favourite character and why is it Willem Dafoe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good one. Um, why is this your favourite Billy Connolly film? Uh, I, I would honestly just be curious to hear people's uh, impressions of this film if they've yeah. seen it for the first time, if it's a if it's a, an old favourite that they haven't revisited in a while or if it's one that they hold near and dear to their hearts. Like what about this movie, especially if they have the context for, you know, the creator and, you know, all of that, does it still endure? Does it still speak to you on some level? Because as much as we've kind of talked a bit of shit on the on the film and the, and the creator in this episode, that's not to say, you know, I, I, I'd say someone is wrong for getting something out of this movie, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now, Michael. Yes. How are you going to follow this up, dude? Um, how, um, do you, how do you plan on stepping over the bar? Well, it's been set on Satan's <laughs> wine cellar. I'm going to take a nice little sidestep and not not even think about this film when following it up because next week is about as close as we can get to Halloween. Oh, so okay, I feel yeah. like it's it's worth picking a, a horror flick. And like I talked about in the Evil Dead 2 episode, horror is kind of a blind spot for me. I'm not a huge... Yeah, I don't have a huge affinity for horror in general. Uh, so I wanted to pick one that I was very fond of uh, as a younger person because it's kind of a family-friendly horror film. Ooh, okay. And that is Peter Jackson's The Frighteners. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. (laughs) Yes. All right, awesome. Hell yeah, I can't wait. All right, sweet. Well, we highly recommend that you check that film out as well if you haven't or rewatch it so you can go into the episode with as much context as possible. And join us next time where we'll find out whether or not our hindsight truly is 2020 or if we've just been wearing rose-tinted glasses. They exited out the front door. They had no idea what they were in for. Now they're staring at six men with guns drawn. It was a fucking ambush. This was a fucking bomb dropping on Beaver Cleaverville. For a few seconds, this place was Armageddon. Uh, There was a firefight!